Welcome to another episode of Big Time Dicks, the show where we take a closer look at the laws and lawmakers fucking up your life. I'm Joanna Rothkoff, Managing Editor at Jezebel. And I'm Prachi Gupta, Senior Reporter at Jezebel. We are so excited to say that Big Time Dicks is going west. (laughs) Joanna was way more excited to say that. (laughs) I said it. We're going west to the Work It Podcast Festival. It's for women in podcasting. It's sponsored by WNYC, and it's in L.A., Los Angeles, as Los Angelites call it. Um, I think the term is Los Angelinos. Los Angelinos, actually. If you're from L.A., please correct us when we're there in person. (laughs) It's at the Ace Hotel. Our panel, we're doing How It's Made. We're doing a one-hour panel with a QA and a about how we make the podcast. It's on October 5th. We'd love to see you there. If you have any questions, if you just want to say hi, if you want to see, like, the way my mouth moves kind of weird when I talk, we'd love to have you. So this week, it was hard to choose what to say first since there's literally a million horrible things going on right now. There's the fight to repeal Obamacare. There's devastation in Puerto Rico and surrounding islands. There's a new travel ban that includes three more countries so that it doesn't seem like it's targeting Muslims. And that's all in one week. All in one week. All in one weekend, basically. Amidst all of that, Trump started a war with sports. There he was Friday night in Alabama wading once more into the thicket of race relations in this country, attacking the predominantly African-American NFL players who say they are protesting racial injustice by sitting, kneeling, or raising a fist during the national anthem. Wouldn't you love to see one of these NFL owners when somebody disrespects our flag to say, get that son of a off the field right now, out, he's fired. This is an obviously insane thing to say, but what's been more insane to me is, I mean, I'm happy to see the response. Like the NFL is understandably and correctly pissed off. And now there are protests from all of these teams refusing, like the Pittsburgh Steelers just didn't even go out when the national anthem was being played on Sunday. But can we just take a step back for a second and acknowledge that Colin Kaepernick has been doing this for the past year and hasn't been signed at all because this was his point. And then we had Donald Trump say something racist, but directed it towards the NFL. And all of a sudden the NFL gives a shit. And they definitely did not three days ago. Yeah. But still, I think it's very moving to see. And also I saw something somewhere that they thought that Donald Trump kind of stoked this pro-flag outrage in Alabama to boost support for the race there, to kind of, like, activate his base. Yeah. And also, Monday morning, he now is, like, pitting NFL against NASCAR. And he's like, NASCAR has real fans. They're real Americans. That's not his quote. His quote is on Twitter that he said, they won't put up with disrespecting our country or our flag. They said it loud and clear. Well, right, because NASCAR said they would fire anybody who did that. But also NASCAR is, (laughs) this is not a surprising move. NASCAR is so racist. Confederate flags fly freely at NASCAR races. But also this, this NFL thing follows another sports controversy with Donald Trump. He had invited the Golden State Warriors because they were the NBA champions. So this is basketball now for our non-sports listeners. Um, He had invited the Golden State Warriors to come to the White House because that's a tradition. The NBA champions come. And Steph Curry, the golden boy of the Golden State Warriors, 
said that he didn't want to go. And then Donald Trump tweeted, going to the White House is considered a great honor for championship team. Stephen Curry is hesitating. Therefore, invitation is withdrawn. He said that on September 23rd. And then, I mean, just don't even try because then LeBron James. (laughs) I love this. Said, you bum at Stephen Curry already said he ain't going. So therefore, ain't no invite. Going to White House was a great honor until you showed up. I'm so happy to see this. I mean, this has been a long time coming and it's frustrating to see that this is what it took. But, you know, I'm going to just I'm just going to take it. There are so few good things happening right now that this is it's moving, as you said. Yeah. But. For everyone who is only starting to now give a shit (laughs) because sports are involved, just I still can't with those people. I know, but I I mean, it's better now than never. Today, we're going to be talking about the Graham-Cassidy bill, the new Obamacare repeal attempt with Amy Friedrich Karnick, who's a senior federal policy advisor at the Center for Reproductive Rights. In the long run, it's bad for everyone in the country, including those states that might get a little bit of extra funding in the short run. But first, our weekend weenies. All right. First up, uh, as Joanna said, there are so many dicks this week. It was even hard to narrow down the weenies. Um, but we've got some staples this week with uh, Education Secretary Betsy DeVos. This past week, she formally announced the rescission of the Dear Colleague letter and another 2014 set of guidelines by the Obama administration to help combat sexual assault on college campuses. Victims of a lack of due process and campus administrators have all told me that the current approach does a disservice to everyone involved. And this has been a long time coming. She announced that she was going to do this basically a few weeks ago, but we didn't know exactly what form it was going to look like and how she was going to do it. Basically, in 2011, the Obama administration issued a set of guidelines that would make it clearer to colleges and universities how they should handle Title IX cases of sexual assault on college campuses to be basically fairer and better to victims who are very—it's very hard for them to come forward. Reports of false rapes are rare, and— Most rapists never go punished. Um, So there's a huge stigma against coming forward. And it's an extremely common issue. Like one in five women on college campuses are sexually assaulted. But I mean, it's it wasn't a perfect set of guidelines that needed to be worked on. But it was definitely better than not having it in place because universities now had to be more accountable. It included like time limits for how long the universities had to respond to an investigation Anyway, Betsy DeVos got rid of that and has now introduced her own, like, very narrow set of guidelines that are way kinder to rapists. So I think that makes her a huge weenie (laughs) in summation. You're not alone. (laughs) Our next weenie is Jared Kushner. He's a Weenie Hall of Fame. If we haven't given him that status already, he definitely is. And you will never believe what he did. It's so weenie-ish. What did he do? I can't believe anyone would do this. He corresponded with other administration officials about official White House matters with a private email account. (laughs) Ah! (laughs) Who would do that? I don't even know what to say. Honestly, he should go to, he should be locked up. Lock Lock him him up. up. (laughs) So his lawyer, somebody I think named Abby Lowell, but the first name is spelled A-B-B-E, 
said in a statement, Mr. Kushner uses his White House email address to conduct White House business. Fewer than 100 emails from January through August were either sent to or returned by Mr. Kushner to colleagues in the White House from his personal email account. These usually forwarded news articles or political commentary and most often occurred when someone initiated the exchange by sending an email to his personal rather than his White House address. You said that all in one breath. (laughs) I just wanted to acknowledge that. (laughs) Oh, my God. I mean, what's there to say? He deserved to be in prison. Also, he deserved to have like 400 straight days of coverage about this scandal in every paper of record. Okay. That's my only request. Our third weenie of the week is Paul Manafort. I think that we have featured him on here before. Former. So many times. All these, th- these three people are not new. They're not new. They just keep doing. They're in the gang. Paul Manafort, former Trump campaign chairman. He is. Things are not looking good for Paul Manafort. In the span of about 24 hours, Last week, middle of the week, CNN, The Washington Post, and The New York Times all had scoops on basically very, 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 very shady activity from Paul Manafort. So basically what has been discovered is that the FBI raided his home in July and they collected a shit ton of documents, very incriminating emails. And so we're starting to see what some of the the contents of some of those emails and they show what has been previously reported, but now in a lot more in depth, just the extent to which Paul Manafort had meetings with Russian uh, officials who were connected to the Kremlin, connected to Putin, and all the shady dealings that he did. He also has, like, the potential crimes date all the way back to 2006 with not just these illicit meetings that he's having for the around the election, but also what, well before that, like, potential tax crimes and other financial crimes. And guess what he's up to now? What's he up to? He is continuing to do really shady shit. <laughs> Okay, sure. (laughs) Are you surprised or no? I'm not surprised. (laughs) So basically, the New York Times reports that now he's working with Kurdish leaders in Iraq on a referendum that the U.S. opposes basically to help Kurds break free, which is critics say will bring more instability to the region. And he is doing this just like on the sly. It just things don't look very good for him right now. Um, This is all from the FBI investigation into the Trump administration's connections with Russia. And it seems like Paul Manafort, they've got him. This week's Dick of the Week is the Graham-Cassidy Bill, a new Obamacare repeal attempt, yet another, from Bill Cassidy of Louisiana and Lindsey Graham of South Carolina. Now joining us is Amy Friedrich Karnick, Senior Federal Policy Advisor at the Center for Reproductive Rights. Amy, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. So tell us about the basics of Graham-Cassidy, especially this new version um, that was circulating on Sunday evening. How does it differ from other Obamacare repeal attempts? Well, sadly, in many respects, it is the same and just as devastating as previous versions of repeal attempts. They have been pretty focused in almost every attempt to repeal Obamacare to really target 
women's health services. So every version of um, the bill, including Graham-Cassidy, is really just devastating for women's health. They defund Planned Parenthood. They restrict abortion coverage for private insurance. They um, really decimate Medicaid as we know it. They make essential health services like maternity care um, waivable, which means states can opt not to guarantee those types of services. And until this morning, I thought that was pretty much um, as bad as it could get. And then with this new version you just mentioned that circulated over the weekend, they went even further and explicitly will now allow states to waive women's preventive services. And that, of course, includes the no copay for birth control requirement. So now states can decide just not to have that guarantee in there for women as well. So it's it's beyond devastating. You said it's pretty similar to the other repeal attempts that there have been. If those have failed, what makes them think that this will succeed? And what are they trying to repeal? True. So it, it's when it comes to some of the women's health provisions specifically, it's similar, but it's different in that it goes far beyond what some of the other proposals have done and actually is much worse by block granting a lot of these programs. And I wish I could answer your question as to why they think this is better or why this um, appeared to have a better chance of passage than the other ones, because it is um, really the worst version yet of Obamacare repeal that we have seen. And um, other than political reasons, I suppose, for why it was gaining steam for a little while, um, it was very unclear to me why this version had any chance of passing when the other versions obviously failed over the summer. But um, hopefully with what we're seeing now, with more members coming out um, in opposition, this bill will fail just like the rest. So uh, you mentioned block granting. So this plan essentially works by replacing most federal funding with block grants for states. How would that work? And can you tell us about what that means? Right now, there's certain money that flows to the states based on how many patients they have in their state, how many people in the state are getting subsidies and are seeking help. That's how um, that's how the subsidies and support work for individuals. And that's how Medicaid has worked for, for many years and that states get a flow of money based on their population and need. Block granting is kind of switching all that to create a formula where each state gets a certain amount of money. And that may shift very slightly from year to year, um, but it is just set. So if a state's population grows, if the need grows, if things change, Um, and a state suddenly would need more money or they're not able to meet the demand for the services, it doesn't matter. The block grant is set, that's the amount they get, and then states are forced to make really difficult decisions about eligibility criteria, services that are going to be provided, cutting things off. So the result is really millions of people losing um, any kind of support for getting health insurance either on the individual market or through Medicaid because there would just be slashes across the board to those programs because the amount of funding that goes from the federal government to the states would be much, much less and inadequate compared to what we have right now. And over time, eventually phases out completely in some of those cases. And one of the things that all of these repeals do is that they remove regulations, which is like Republican code for removing protections for sick people and people with pre-existing conditions. Can you talk about how that is appealing to anybody? (laughs) <laughs> I don't know how it's appealing to others. I can tell you why those protections are so important. Yeah, um, sure. The ACA was instrumental in in obviously expanding access to people being able to have health insurance coverage. And particularly for women, um, the guarantees of certain benefits really expanded women's access to the health care services that they need. So 
both in protecting people with pre-existing conditions, whether that's people with a chronic condition or whether that's women who have been pregnant before, women who have had a C-section before, all of those um, prior to the ACA were reasons that women might have to pay a lot more in their premiums or be denied coverage altogether if they were seeking health insurance. Those um, threats to their access went away with the ACA because people with pre-existing conditions were now guaranteed access to coverage and services that previously might have caused a woman's premiums to skyrocket, um, whether she needed to suddenly access maternity care or things like that, um, were guaranteed. So under the ACA, maternity care is guaranteed, no copay birth control is guaranteed, and millions of women benefited from those guarantees. And this bill allows states to basically waive all of those and make a decision upon for the citizens of that state that they're not going to guarantee those services any longer. And women's health will take a huge cut if that's the case. So there's extra money for some states like Maine and Alaska, whose senators Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins were harder to win over last time. Why is that? What we've seen over the weekend is the proponents of this bill try to sweeten it up for the home states of those senators who are holding out. Um, And we are very hopeful that those senators won't cave just because of that. Over the summer, there was similar types of attempts to persuade Senator Murkowski to come to their side with promises of special benefits and funding for Alaska, and she didn't um, she didn't cave to that. She held to her principles and said, no, I'm opposed to this bill. And so we're really hopeful and urging senators to maintain that strength and that conviction to oppose this bill. Because um, even in some of those states who might get some extra funding um, in the short term or might get some sweet deals, this bill is really bad for everyone in the country. And um, in the long run, it's bad for everyone in the country, including those states that might get a little bit of extra funding in the short run. And so we really just appeal to all of the senators to oppose this bill because it's bad for everyone and not to just say yes to it or vote for it because, you know, your state might get a little bit of a benefit more than others. Well, so you say it's bad for everyone, which is certainly what it seems like. Is there, I mean, who is it good for? Who is benefit? There has to be somebody that is benefiting from this other than just politicians fulfilling a political promise. I think that's probably the motivating factor right. is that um, it's it's for politicians who have promised this thing. And, you know, for those politicians who don't believe that health care is a universal human right, for those senators who don't um, prioritize ensuring that every single person in their state has full quality health care that they need. And so unfortunately, there are some folks who come to Congress who have different priorities. Um, and I think we're seeing that play out right now. But we would urge every senator to think about the health of the people in their state and also to listen to their constituents because the resistance to this bill is is stronger than ever, um, even with the fact that we've had to fight so often and so long through the whole spring and summer to fight this bill and now have to resurrect all of our advocates and all of our efforts and all of our energies to fighting this bill. Um, And it's been amazing in the last week and a half to see people rise to the occasion and really fight back as stronger than ever. There are some experts who say that this is going to have a disproportionate impact on states that supported Obamacare, or another way to put that was blue states, states that are Democratic um, over Republican. How is that possible? Like what, what, and is that true? Yeah, so the way the way it works is, um, you know, many states chose to take up Medicaid expansion, um, which means they were able to kind of broaden the scope of folks in their state who qualified for Medicaid, and they got federal support um, for being able to provide coverage for those people. 
Um, and then many states, um, particularly red states, chose not to do that. So they weren't getting that money. So it's complicated, but the way the formulas work is that if you took up Medicaid expansion and you were getting additional federal funds over the last few years um, with the new block grant funding formula, um, the amount of money you stand to get could go down from that because they're just putting it all in a big block grant. And those states that never got that funding would now see a bump up in the short term in the in the block grant funding that they're getting. But again, over time, all of it phases out. And in a couple of years, a lot of that funding goes away completely for all the states. Right now, um, we're recording this on Monday. A bunch of senators have expressed concerns about this. Lisa Murkowski, Susan Collins, McCain, Rand Paul, Ted Cruz said he had concerns. For this to pass, they can only afford to have two GOP votes lost. What do you think the likelihood of this passing is? Or does this have a shot? I think until it is completely said and done, there is always a shot. And so I think that we need to stay very strong and very vigilant in our opposition. I think right now there are a couple hundred people lined up in the Senate office buildings waiting for a hearing that is still three hours away. There's hundreds of people, many of whom are coming from the disability community who are in wheelchairs and who are waiting for a chance to listen to the hearing this afternoon. So I think we need to keep up that kind of resistance because this effort seems to resurrect itself over and over and over. Um, that said, I am very hopeful and, and optimistic that our resistance will win out and um, that those senators who have expressed opposition will will stay opposed. Um, you know, definitely calls into question whether whether this bill will pass. But and I think we need to keep fighting until it's truly done and over. And I have one more question, and it's um a personal question. <laughs> Um, how do you keep talking about these stupid bills that keep getting introduced and they're basically identical? Um, it is hard to think of lots of different ways to say devastating and decimating right. and ruining. <laughs> um, so we have to do that. I think what keeps me going is how incredibly important this is and really what is at stake. It is hard to describe what is at stake with a bill like this. And so in many ways, there is no no choice but to keep fighting and to keep up the strength and to keep speaking out until every single person in this country is aware of what's at stake. Um, and so I, I'm motivated to do that because I'm, I think the consequences of this would be so devastating. And then it is also energizing because um, the resistance is working and we saw these bills fail over the summer. I'm hopeful we'll see the bill fail again this week. And so when you see the hard work that you are putting in with your colleagues and everyone on the ground and across the country, and you see it pay off, that is motivating. And so I hope that we keep that up. And it's it's what keeps me going to the next day. Just to reiterate the point that I think is so important about what they've added over the weekend. And I think it's kind of shocking that in order to try to appeal to more senators and get more folks to really support their bill, they double down on going after women's services and and contraception in a way that they hadn't done quite so explicitly in, in past bills. And I think that it says a lot about, you know, where their heads are at and the true intentions of this bill. And it's not, it is not to guarantee and ensure that um, everyone in this country, and particularly not women, um, have access to the full range of healthcare services that they need. Thank you so much for joining us and thank you for your work. Great. Thank you. Now, 
now it's time for our weekly segment, How to Handle the Dicks, where we tell you what we're doing to cope with this stressful administration. And it's ever more stressful by the day. What are you doing? Well, yesterday I ran a race, my first race in like seven years or something like that. I love it. Yeah. A I race, muscle. I, oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it was the Bronx 10 mile run and uh, I finished. That's all, that's all there is to that's say That's all you about can it. ask for, you know. <laughs> I finished. Great. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I was thinking of running a race, but then like I've been on two runs in like 10 years and each time I'm like, oh yeah, I could run a race. But it's not my forte. Why should I try it? I can't. I can't force myself to do everything. No, you can't. Don't, Especially things you know. that I'm objectively bad at. <laughs> you know. Um, my how to handle this week is kind of um a stupid one, but it's have more immediate problems. They could be very stupid, but I learned that. So just to be specific, Prachi and I used to, we briefly overlapped at Salon.com. I worked there like three years ago. Prachi also worked there like three, four years ago or something. And I had the email account on my phone since then, even though the email was shut down. <laughs> A good question. <laughs> Why? Um, I had it because I like still had some archives in it. And I was like, what if I need an email address one day? Or like, what if I need something? I never ever did. But I was like, oh, should I delete this? And I didn't. And then last week I was like, Fuck this. I'm deleting salon.com email. It's, it's time. I haven't used it ever. It's, it's time. It's past time. And I deleted it and all of my notes on my iPhone deleted also. <gasps> no. Because <laughs> they had all been in the salon one. Oh, no. So last <laughs> night, Brad, my boyfriend, and I spent like two hours looking at all the soft, like the data recovery <laughs> software. <laughs> And like doing all this stuff, and we eventually found one. And for free, it it like found all of the notes. And then they're like, "Okay, register to get the notes." And so we registered, and they're like, "Okay, pay us fifty dollars now." What? <laughs> so I paid fifty dollars last night to get all my notes back, and oh. I, the notes are so <laughs> stupid. Let me just read, read us read us one. I'll re- I'll read if I'll read like two stupid one. Okay, here's one. Soups, broccoli. That's the whole note. (laughs) And another one is, I'm like a fart. Silent but deadly. One of them, I'm showing Naprachi right now. It just says razors. (laughs) Razors. Ugh, God, what a waste of money. I have to find at least one good idea (laughs) in in these like 300 notes. When you paid that, were you thinking about the notes that you took? Like, Was was there one that you were thinking like, oh, this is really important? Like every time I've had an idea in the past two years, I've written it down in the notes. Yeah. Yeah, me too. And every single one of them got deleted. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay. So I had to. I would probably retreat them for that back too. Yeah. Like I don't even know what I, what I haven't gone through all of them yet to back them up since then, but it's every single time I've like had a thought. Somebody, if the notes were the only thing somebody saw about my life, like somebody I don't know and all they saw or knew about me was my notes section, I would be very disturbed. I They would be disturbed. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's a funny game. Just like a funny game is to do a dating game show, but all you get to see is their, notes, their notes or like three of their randomly selected notes. I would, I, I would watch that. that dating show. That's really fun. I would watch the shit out of that dating show. Same. <laughs> For me, Soups, broccoli. <laughs> I'm like a fart time, but deadly. Razors. Would you date me? <laughs> Write in and tell us. <laughs> <laughs> Hold up. 
you so much for listening to Big Time Dicks. And thank you to our guest, Amy Friedrich Karnick. This show is produced by Levi Sharp with editorial oversight by Kate Drees. Mondana Mofidi is our executive director of audio. And we featured music by Stuart Wood and Aaron Leader. The podcast was mixed by Jamie Colazzo. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts so other people can find the show. You can also find us on Panoply, NPR One, or wherever you get your podcasts. Got a big time dick you want to tell us about? Send a voice note or email to bigtimedicks at jezebel.com or tweet at Jezebel using the hashtag bigtimedicks. We'll see you next Tuesday. And I'm really apprehensive about what the world will look like then. Great one. Thank you. (laughs) 